0: The following is a complimentary excerpt of this week's edition of the Friday Focus podcast by The Monk Debates. To access full-length editions of each and every episode, along with all kinds of great additional benefits and perks, become a donor to The Monk Debates. You can do that for as little as $25 a year, and you'll receive each and every year 50 Friday Focus episodes at full-length. It's all available right now on our website in just a few simple clicks, com. Look for the Friday Focus option in our navigation bar the top right of the website. Make your donation, and we will send you each and every Friday a link to listen to the full-length edition of this program. Thanks in advance for your generous contribution. Hello, Monk members. Rudyard Griffiths here, the Executive Director of the Monk Debates. Welcome to this, our Friday Focus Podcast. Each and every Friday, we're joined by Janice Grosstein, the Founding Director of the Monk School of Global Affairs, internationally renowned scholar and author. Janice, great to be in conversation with you on the 22nd of
1: September. And so glad to be here with you, Rudyard. What a week here in canada we are top of the news right now almost everywhere
0: absolutely this does happen from time to time on the show i can remember a few months back when we were talking about chinese election interference uh in canadian democracy it was a big story around the world and now we're back at it but it's not china janice it's india that's grabbed the headlines the prime minister of canada in Extraordinary address in Parliament on Monday, indicating that there are credible allegations that India's, uh, we assume, security services conducted an assassination of a so-called Kalistani nationalist. This is a uh, a group that is advocating for an independent uh, homeland in the Punjab region of India. Um, this same group in India is labeled as a terrorist organization and has uh, been subject to an ongoing uh, multi-now decade kind of covert, uh, internecine battle, war, fight with the Indian government over independence. But this has kind of now Janice boiled over into a much bigger, seemingly diplomatic and bilateral dispute between India and Canada. So my question to you is how important is this in the light of Canada's, you know, deteriorated relationship with China, our non-relationship understandably with Russia around the Ukraine war, even though we do share this Arctic region with Russia. On a scale of one to 10, what importance do you give these events?
1: An eight, uh, an eight, Rudyard. And actually, for the reasons you mentioned, big picture, we now have very tense relationships with India, China and Russia. That is not a good place for this country to be in. But let me just say um, I have empathy for any Canadian prime minister who is told by his head of, you know, by the head of CSIS, they have credible allegations that a killing took place on Canadian soil um, inspired by in coordination with a foreign government. No prime minister wants to hear that. And here's the second point, Rudyard, and I hope we get to talk about it. It is not the big geopolitical story, but let's make some time. That story was leaked by our own security services. Normally, this would be handled the way this government was handling it, as a bilateral discussion between top officials, not friendly, but managed. That's how governments do it. That was blown up. By our own security services, you hear the outrage in my voice that that leaked this story to the *Goldman Mail*. We are in a very bad place in this country.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've heard uh, this kind of behind the scenes. I've heard that over the course of negotiations between the parties around uh, a judge to, c- to come forward and lead a inquiry into Chinese interference, that there were some senior members of the government indicating to the opposition parties that there was something major coming on India. So I do believe Janice that the Globe and Mail was, you know, doing what the media could or should do. It was hearing these report stories and reports. It was working their sources. And what do we have? Yes, we have a prime minister in a sense that's uh, forced out on Monday with this statement of, uh, you know, serious, Uh, credible allegations that have emerged and need to be investigated more so i take your point that those leaks to the globe had to come from somewhere but it wasn't also as if the government was being entirely discreet about this because this investigation clearly had been ongoing for a number of months
1: six weeks at least
0: yeah and uh you know, they, to some extent, showed their hand, at least to the opposition parties. And if you're talking to the opposition yeah. parties, you might as well be talking to the media.
1: Yeah, but you still have to have a credible security source inside to confirm, Richard, before you go public, mm-hmm. which means that somebody in an official position in this country, a trusted official, took it on themselves to confirm this to the Goldman Mail. That's called making policy, not executing right. on policy
0: so uh, great conversation love the back and forth to me a lot of a lot of imagery symmetry here with Chinese interference in Canada because it seems like way back in 2018 our security services tabled a report that identified three primary threats to Canadian national security number one was the threat of Islamic terrorism number two was incels these uh, you know reprobates who are motivated by violence towards uh women the number of third risk in 2018 identified by our security services uh seek radicalism in the form of the calistani independent movement the government quickly moved to squash that part of the report they were then supposedly according to more reporting in the Globe and mail warned about uh additional risks around seek radicalism in Canada in advance of the Prime Minister's first trip to India, but the government chose not to, uh, in a sense, uh, allow the security services to engage in uh, a counter radicalism uh, movement against those groups. So look, the government has, Janice, in similar ways to its attitudes towards, you know, Chinese interference in Canada, and more importantly, diaspora groups some of which are doing not good things in canada it seems to have taken a passive approach here
1: yeah both on the china
0: file and on the india file and look passivity sometimes in in the instance might look like the wise policy but constant can kicking down the proverbial road eventually incurs consequences
1: so let me disagree with you in The most restrained language I can find. Okay, all right, dude. There is no equivalence here to the China file. Let me say why I think this so strongly. When the evidence came in that there was credible Indian interference, and let's be clear for all our listeners, nobody's seen the evidence. Uh, We. There's been one interesting leak that there were intercepts of conversations by Indian officials in Canada. And if that is true, that is damning. Um, that is credible evidence. But we don't know because it hasn't been released officially, but it's been leaked. But as soon as the prime minister was told about it, he, ra- he raised it with the Indian prime minister at the G20. He sent his national security advisor over to, to New Delhi to talk to her counterpart. He sent the head of CSIS over. In other words, the only conceivable ground for a legitimate whistleblower is the government isn't doing enough. But in fact, it was here, unlike, you might argue, the China file. So there is no excuse whatsoever unless you feel somehow a God-given right to abrogate to yourself as an official to decide and to pass judgment on what the government is doing.
0: I think, Janice, that the point I'm making is that security officials clearly, in the same way that they were frustrated with this government's foot-dragging on Chinese election interference had reason to be frustrated at the government's foot dragging on confronting um Kalistani radicals in canada who are doing really bad things so, uh, regardless of you know bilateral relations with india we cannot and should not accept groups in canada regardless of Uh, their homeland or ethnicity. This is not specific to the Sikh community at all. We've made a remarkable contribution to Canada and rightly are welcomed in this country as, you know, marvelous citizens who contribute to our way of life. This is about a violent radicalized minority that exists in a lot of different diaspora groups, but particularly within the Sikh community related to this issue of an independent homeland in Punjab. And it seems like there were multiple instances over the last four and a half or five years, where the security services were coming forward to this government and saying, we have to do something about Khalistani radicals, and the government, as with the Chinese file, at various times decided that they didn't want to hear what the security services were saying. Now, this doesn't justify in any way if these allegations are true. In any way, what the Indian government had did, if it did, in fact conduct an assassination on Canadian soil, but by ignoring Calistani radicalism, it certainly created a greater set of preconditions, a greater chance that a government like India could act extrajudiciary outside of its, any kind of international norms, uh, because it felt that the Canadian government was doing nothing.
1: Uh, I'm gonna disagree on two grounds here, Richard. Um, You have to make a judgment on the, on the evidence you have in front of you. The security services knew that the Prime Minister t- had taken action on this file. And the story was leaked after he took action. Case closed on that. There is simply no excuse for their behavior. Let's talk about Khalistani radicalism. There is no question that there is a group of radicalized uh, members of the Sikh community, largely in the west of Canada, although. Who knows who are in support of an independent state of Khalistan carved out of Punjab, and that the Indian government regards them as terrorists. But this is a democratic country, Canada, governed by the rule of law. You have to have evidence that people are engaging in criminal activity. So the Canadian government has not designated supporters of Khalistan as a terrorist group. Short of that, What do you have to do before you take so-called take action against members of a diaspora group who are supporting movements at home that the prime minister at home does not like? You have to engage in illegal arms trafficking. You have to engage um, in gangland killings of other members of the group. You have, you have to transfer funds illegally. If that were the case, why were we the security services? They had every opportunity under the law to identify and arrest and charge anybody engaged in these illegal activities. They didn't do it, which means they had no evidence under Canadian criminal law. So we have to be very careful with these kinds of warnings. You and I both know we have very active diasporas in this country. That's what makes Canada, who get very heavily involved. Our Ukrainian community has been involved for the last year and a half, and most of us would say in a just cause, in raising money to send arms to Ukraine, right? So you need to designate a group as a terrorist movement before you can do anything. And if you don't do that, nobody has authority. There's no evidence of of an illegal act in the last four or five good
0: points all. If I could get a word in edgewise, (laughs) uh, I'd appreciate it. Number one, the United States and the FBI have faced faced similar uh, Calistani radicals in the United States, and they've arrested and deported people. So, you know, I think there clearly was... a a will and a way for them to act. I think in Canada, when you have prominent politicians of the governing party appearing at uh, Sikh nationalist rallies where there are effigies of um, uh, murdered Indian politicians like Indira Gandhi and, uh, you know, placards lauding so-called martyrs of the Khalistani movement and you have prominent politicians participating in those events that kind of sends a message to or does the rest of government that says, you know what? Our political class seems very comfortable with these kinds of expressions with what this movement is about and seemingly what it is advocating. Those were very, uh, uh, very um, unfortunate injudicious decisions on the part of senior politicians in this country to associate themselves with what is I mean you, let's have a separate debate a separate show there are horrible things going on in Punjab and I do think the Sikh community has been the subject of persecution there I saw a story I couldn't believe it on Bloomberg this week that 56 yeah. percent of the state budget of Punjab goes towards servicing its debt This an incredibly impoverished and uh, you know, discriminated region and group in India, 100%. But that does not justify calls for organized uh, violence against, uh, I guess, what was formerly an ally, India. Yet we had our politicians marching in those very protests alongside those so-called, you know, community leaders who represented or were associated with this group. That, you know, there are consequences. Actions have consequences. Thanks for listening to this excerpt of the Friday Focus podcast. To get full-length editions of each and every episode of this program, simply go to our website, www.themonkdebates.com, click on the Friday Focus Tab in our navigation on the top right of the site. Make a donation as little as $25 a year or 50 cents an episode, and we'll send you not only the full length editions of each and every Friday Focus podcast, but all kinds of special offers, perks, access to events. And additional content. Again, you can do that right now by becoming a donor to the Monk Debates at www.monkdebates, M-U-N-K, debates with an